A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. I am your host, Movie Mike, joined this week by my wife and co-host, Kelsey. How are you? I'm great. Ready to get into the Oscar nominations? Let's do it. We'll do that. I'll give you my review of a Best Picture nominee, The Banshees of Inna Sheeran. And in the trailer park, I'll talk about why my expectations have changed for Scream 6 after Scream 5 kind of let me down. So shout out to the Monday Morning Movie Crew. And now, let's talk movies. In a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast. One man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast. A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. Nominations came out last week. It is the 95th Oscars. I gotta say, looking at this list, I'm a little underwhelmed. I would agree. And how would you describe Oscar season for me? The Super Bowl of movies. I love it. I love watching all of the Best Picture nominees. It is the only award show I will watch all three hours of. I try to defend it. I don't know why I do. There's no real reason for me to be behind the Oscars, but I just feel like there's a little bit of historical value and it's kind of provides a snapshot into all the important things happening in movies for that year. And so, sometimes it becomes a relic of pop culture. We had the infamous Ellen DeGeneres mm-hmm. selfie with all the celebrities. We had the slap last year. There's always something at the Oscars. Always something. The Moonlight, La La Land. I was rewatching fiasco. that last week. I know. We watched that on TikTok last week and it still makes me cringe to this day. So there's just always something magical to me about the Oscars. Aside from the movies that get nominated and even now in today's world where we have more access to all these actors, it used to be that you would watch the Oscars because this would be the only time you would see these actors outside of their movies. I mean, we see them on social media all the time now, but I still think there's something special to having them all together in one room. Even watching the Golden Globes, it was kind of cool to see them all interact. So I, I like the fashion. Oh, you like that part of it? I love the fashion. I'm getting more into the guy fashion. I follow a lot of GQ accounts. So I get into a little bit of the red carpet because I like to see like people like Seth Rogen make those lists. 
Some, loves a GQ follow. I do. I'll be driving and I'll look over and I'm like, what are you looking at? And I'm like, GQ's Instagram? Yeah. Okay. All right, but let's get into the list. Let's start it off with Best Picture. Who was nominated for Best Picture? And we'll go through all the major categories. I'll tell you who I think is going to win. And on some of these, I'll tell you who I think should win because sometimes it's different for me. So let's start with Best Picture. Best Picture, we have All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, The Way of Water, The Banshees of Inishirin, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. The thing that sticks out to me about this category is there are a couple sequels in there. Top Gun Maverick, Avatar, The Way of Water. Only two sequels ever have gone on to win Best Picture. That is Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, and The Godfather Part Two. And the whole reason that the Best Picture category exists and why sequels rarely get nominated is because these movies are supposed to be novel. They're supposed to take either a concept take a historical figure and present it in a way that hasn't been done before. This is the worst year of Best Picture nominations, in my opinion. And it is the worst year. Avatar, really? Just because it took a lot of money Mm -hmm. to make and it made a lot of money. And James Cameron. Does not mean it should be nominated for Best Picture. And what I said last year doing this episode is I believe that they should have like an automatic slot for whatever movie grossed the highest amount the previous year to automatically get nominated for Best Picture. That kind of happened this year on its own with Avatar now crossing the two billion mark. So having that movie there and having Top Gun Maverick, I feel gives that movies for people to root for who don't normally care about Best Picture. And this is the battle I get into every year is I watch all these movies because I, you know, do this podcast. I would watch it even if I didn't have this podcast, but sometimes it's hard to get people interested because it's all movies they've never seen. But now there are actual movies that have also the box office numbers. So I feel it's a little bit different this year, but also I don't think Avatar should be up there. I don't think Elvis is best picture worthy. I'm going to say it. Elvis was good. I don't know. It didn't live up to the hype for me. Like I remember we talked about it and I was like, it was good. Austin Butler did a great job. But we're what? It came out in June. We're like seven months out. A, I'm sick of his Elvis accent. Mm-hmm. I get he did method acting. If I have to hear him talk on an award show, it irritates me to my core. But also like, I don't know, wasn't the greatest biopic ever made. It was different. I also think a lot of best picture and the Oscars altogether is politics. And you have- well, you Yeah, know, avatars on there. So you have just people already built into this. So I don't think Elvis will win. I don't think Top Gun Maverick will win. I kind of feel like it kind of snuck in there. I like Triangle of Sadness, but I don't feel like that movie was big enough. I couldn't watch it. Yeah, there's a lot of puking in that movie. I can't handle that. And then Banshees of Inner Sheeran, I feel like that is one that the people voting on the Oscars would lean towards. The Academy loves that. It was good. It was I was you liked it more than me. Yeah. But I watched it, but it is very much like a caters to the Academy. And then you have the Fablemans, which it's hard to bet against. I loved the Fablemans. Steven Spielberg. I really liked it too. I feel like that's almost runner up in this scenario. And I wouldn't be surprised if it did win. I don't see it winning though. Yeah, I can't visualize that in my head. So I'm going with the winner here. Everything, everywhere, all at once. It had the most nominations out of any movie. It is the most novel out of any movie on this list. And I think it deserves to win. I think it needs to be the movie that represents 2022. So I'm going with everything, everywhere, all at once. 
a snub here. Some people said nope. I really enjoyed nope. I probably overhyped nope on this podcast, but I don't think it is a snub here. I don't think it was best picture worthy, even though I really enjoyed it. Wakanda forever. I don't think it had as much of a cultural impact as the first Black Panther. But if you're going to put Elvis up there, if you're going to put Top Gun Maverick, if you're going to put Avatar up there. Yeah, I'm surprised that Black Panther Wakanda forever didn't get up there. So, all right, let's move on now to best actor in a leading role. Another Weak category. I have a snub though. The whale. Oh my gosh. I forgot about that. I got so, f- oh my, let's, let's backtrack here. I said when I reviewed the whale that I would riot if it didn't win best picture. I'm looking at your notes. It the didn't whale- even get nominated. Oh my God. For everyone listening, he moved his microphone away for you, but um, that was right in my ear. It did not even get nominated. And I was saying a lot of the Oscars are politics. And that is probably why it did not get nominated. The Whale probably didn't play the game that all these other movies did. It is an outrage to me that The Whale is not nominated. Which this leads into, we will talk about it in a second, He Brendan Fraser got nominated yeah, for The Whale. I was going to get to that, but I, I forgot about the biggest snub of all time. When these were revealed, my jaw literally dropped. I'm still getting choked up about it because that movie, even more so than everything, everywhere, all at once, resonated with me so much. And it was so well done. There was so much great acting in that movie. I, I can't believe it didn't get nominated. I also, I just referenced your notes. I would like to point out, I, point out, I woke up this morning. Yeah. And at like 7 a.m. you had emailed me. I get fired up about the Oscars. Prepped, like prep for this episode. And I woke up and I was like, I feel like my boss is like sending me a task. <laughs> and you were like, okay, this is what we're going through tonight. Just just review this when you have a chance. And I was like, what, what is this my job now? Yeah, but I, I was so fired up about the whale, I forgot to put it in my notes. But yes, there you go. That's the whale what I'm here snow. for. But we'll get to it now. Here, best actor in a leading role. Who do we got? We have Brendan Fraser, mm-hmm. the whale, Austin Butler, and mm-hmm. Elvis, Colin Farrell in the Banshees of Inisherin, Paul Meskel in After Sun, and Bill Nye in Living. If it doesn't go to Brendan Fraser, I'll riot. I'm already rioting because it didn't get nominated for Best Picture, and I swear, if Austin Butler <laughs> wins, I'm turning off the TV. Like I, I, I'm out. Like, he already won the Golden Globe, which I thought was... It's the method acting. It's the fact that he's going to talk like Elvis for the rest of his life. I just don't believe that his performance in that movie was best actor worthy. I like to think of it as, like, could someone else have done that role better? Yeah. Like, I don't feel like Austin Butler himself, Mm -mm. like, aside from, like, anyone who's going to commit to a part like that and do method acting can do that. I mean, we've seen Christian Bale, Matthew McConaughey, and Dallas Buyers Club. Like, we have seen people put themselves through hell to become the character they're playing. So like, I don't feel like Austin Butler brought anything novel other than the commitment to sounding like Elvis. I mean, he played it up so much about staying in character and it staying with him for like two years and having to go to the hospital. We get it. But I feel like it was more the theatrics surrounding that movie that made it appealing. I don't really think it was him. So if he wins, I'm out. But the crazy thing is that all Best Actor nominees are all first-time nominees. That's surprising that Colin Farrell, has he been nominated before like in a supporting role? First-time nominee. Really? I was even looking back at some of his movies, and for as a dynamic of an actor that he is, I don't think he really has that real defining role yet, and this one could be it. I wouldn't hate it if he won. That's interesting, because I feel like... Colin Farrell is like a defined like A-lister in my head. There are several actors like that that I feel like they are A-list, but even when you look at the movies they've been in, you're like, oh, there's not one that I really gravitate towards. Remember when we saw Gwyneth Paltrow at the grocery store? Yes. Like I know she back in the day won an Oscar, 
But looking at her movies, I still associate her with Pepper Potts, but I wouldn't really call that her, you know, her title role. Okay, another to add to that, Claire Danes. Yeah. And I mean, she's also like won awards for a lot of the early stuff that she did, but then like was bigger on like Homeland. And then we just watched her in Fleischman is in trouble. So there's some of those that, yeah, it's like, I forget what their like early defining role was. Or I was thinking of like Anna Kendrick, who obviously well known for Pitch Perfect. I loved her in Up in the Air. Twilight. And she's an A-list. Yeah. But I still don't feel like she has that one role that like, oh yeah. She forgot she was in Twilight. That's my favorite meme. Yeah, I'm going with Brendan Fraser as the winner here. I will say, I think a snub here is Johnny Knoxville. This is the stupidest take you have ever had on anything. See, when it comes to best actor in a leading role, they always give it to somebody who really went above and beyond to get into character, put their body on the line. If anybody ever like drops a bunch of weight for a role like Joaquin Phoenix for Joker... That always gets recognized. That always feels to me like an easy win. Johnny Knoxville in his 50s still putting his life on the line in Out Jackass Forever. Yes. It's not a role. It's a it's a bit. It's he got hit by a bull again. Broken that's wrist. That's his fault for being stupid. Broken ribs. A concussion was in the hospital for months. A brain hemorrhage. That deserves a nomination in my eyes. No, it doesn't. I think it does. That deserves to, I don't know, like. A Razzie for dumbest person? No, I think that's best actor worthy. That's but he's not playing a character. He's just being Johnny Knoxville being stupid. That's he, not a character. You could argue that the whole Johnny Knoxville persona is a character that he plays up. Not his real name. When it's not? No. <laughs> What's his real name? His real name is Philip John Clapp. Johnny Knoxville is a nickname. Yeah, Johnny Knoxville sounds a lot more. It, it is a lot. But cooler. okay, no, I still don't think he deserves an Oscar. And also, this was I read this when I read your prep this morning, and I got to this, and I was like, "This is truly the worst take you've ever had on anything." The only kind of takes you can only find on Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. Johnny Knoxville deserves a Best Actor nomination. I also thought uh, Ray Fine yes. in the menu. He was really good in that. So good. He's he's such a good actor. He is mm-hmm. like. Hands down, I think one of the best at playing just like villainous characters because he's Voldemort. Yeah, he has a really great range and it shows so much in that movie. I'm surprised that didn't get a nomination. Some people said that Tom Cruise should have been nominated for Top Gun. No, look at his performance in that is so cheesy, so retro 80s, even though that character itself means a lot to so many people. That does not deserve an Oscar nomination, so get out of here with that. Moving on now to Best Actress in a Leading Role. What do we have here? Kate Blanchett and Tar, Ana de Armas and Blonde, Andrea Riseborough and Two Leslie, Michelle Williams in The Fablemans, and Michelle Yao and Everything Everywhere All at Once. Can't believe Ana de Armas was nominated. That is sus to me. Seems sus. I really love Michelle Williams in The Fablemans. Like, she is such a great dramatic actress. And I felt like her performance in that movie, I mean, really carried it. The entire story kind of surrounded her character in that movie and what she went through and her emotional struggles. I would almost give it to her here, but Michelle Yao in Everything Everywhere All at Once was just such a great lead. And I think that role itself probably will be more defiant as the years go on. Like that is just now an iconic movie character. I feel like I need to rewatch that movie already. Oh, we'll go rewatch it right now. Okay. (laughs) But yeah, I think that one is going to win. All right. What do we have now? Best actor in a supporting role. Brendan Gleeson in The Banshees of Inishirin. Brian Tyree Henry in Causeway. Judd Hirsch in The Fablemans. Barry Cowgan in The Banshees of Inishirin. And then Kay Hui Kwan in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. 
I would really like him to win. I mean, he was a child actor known for the Indiana Jones movies, known for the Goonies, and then didn't really have success later. And the way he got this role was kind of his reprise and, you know, return to acting. And I think just for the sake of having a really good speech and those moments kind of get me to at the Oscars, I would really want him to win. I, th- I think he deserves it over anybody else. But to that point, too, he did the speech at the Golden Globes. Yeah, I want to see it again. You want to see it again? Okay. But I think the character and actor's performance that I really fell in love with was Brendan Gleeson. Like, he was so good in The Banshees of Indusheeran, and I was never really a particular fan of his. And even when he did and hosted SNL, I was kind of like, eh, he's all right. But seeing him in this movie, it really made me like him. Yeah. And I think he's going to win. I think so. All right. Who do we have now for actress in a supporting role? Angela Bassett from Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Hong Chow from The Whale. Carrie Condon, Banshees of Inishirin. Jamie Lee Curtis, Everything Everywhere All at Once. And Stephanie Hsu, Everything Everywhere All at Once. I think both Jamie Lee Curtis and Stephanie Hsu almost cancel each other out in this category. I feel like their characters were a little bit equal in that. Jamie Lee Curtis has kind of a smaller role in that altogether. So I'm kind of surprised she got nominated. I don't think that's a supporting role worthy level performance. More so I would go with Stephanie Hsu. But I think hands down the one who should win is Angela Bassett in Black Panther. Oh, absolutely. She deserves it. Like the emotion she put into her performance and her entire character arc in Black Panther was... One of my favorite things in that movie. I'm an Angela Bassett stan. So she's great. And surprised that Hong Chow was nominated for The Whale and not Sadie Sink. I really love Sadie Sink in that movie. I think Hong Chow's character had more depth because she was the one taking care of Mm -hmm. him, but also almost enabling his disease. So I feel like her character had this really hard like juxtaposition of wanting to care for her friend as a Mm -hmm. human and like take care of him and keep him alive, but also like not wanting to deprive him of things. Like she would bring him fast food, but she was also like basically his nurse. So I just feel like her character had more depth and more layers than Sadie Sinks did because Sadie Sink was not one dimensional as a character, but Mm. his estranged daughter coming to get to know him. I guess I was just more surprised with her performance and how vicious she was and how well she kind of played into that role of making you at times not like her, like almost to the point where you hated her character and then kind of feeling redemption and sympathy towards her character. And for being an actor at her age to be able to pull that off, I thought that was really impressive. I also think though, this is just kind of like the start of us seeing Sadie Sink. Like, yeah. I think like she's been some really good stuff lately. So I think I think there's potential there in the future. And also I think kind of like you said with Jamie Lee Curtis and Stephanie Hsu, if we had both Sadie Sink and Hong Chow, like I don't think either of them would have a chance. But still, out of anybody, I think Angela Bassett deserves it. So we'll go through Best Director now and then run through some of the rest of these. So who do we have for Best Director? Todd Field for Tar, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Martin McDonough for The Banshees of Inishirin, Ruben Ostland, Triangle of Sadness, and good old Steven Spielberg for The Fablemans. He won the Golden Globe, but out of all of the Steven Spielberg movies I've seen, I know a lot of this movie, like the way it comes to life is because of his directing. And it is a story about himself done in a really 
kind of different way. It's not like a full-on biopic, so it really focuses on their family, but I just don't think it's his best director winner here. He's won it in the past, but I don't think it's here. Maybe that's what he's going for now, like in his older age, like I want to get another one, but I don't think he deserves it here. I think the most novel approach to directing and my new favorite team of directors are the Daniels and everything everywhere all at once. I really love their movie before the Swiss Army Man. I just think after the success of this movie, this is what more directors are going to try and emulate. They're going to basically steal their formula and not be able to replicate it. It kind of reminds me of Quentin Tarantino in the 90s. When he put out Pulp Fiction, everybody else kind of stole his genre. Everybody else wanted to be like him. I think that's what people are going to try to do now with the Daniels. They're going to try and create really outlandish, over-the-top, original stories. And I don't think they'll be able to match them because they're already way steps ahead above everybody else. So I think they deserve to win. Their passion for directing really makes me excited just for everything they do in the future. And makes me excited that there will always be new novel movies coming out to root for. And that's always what I look for. And if you can't tell, this podcast is not an ad for everything everywhere all at once. <laughs> it is just Mike D's favorite movie of the year. It is. It won it has eleven nominations. I think it's gonna clean house. So now we'll run through some of these other categories that are still noteworthy, but I don't really care about these as much. Animated feature film, I think we'll go to Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. I thought it was a really great movie, but I was also coming off of just seeing the Disney Plus version of Pinocchio. So I think I was just tired of Pinocchio, which I hate that both of those movies came out in the same year. And Guillermo del Toro's approach to it was so much more thought out. And he'd been working on this movie for so long. I hate that I compared it to the other one because I just had that story just stuck in my head. I'm a little over the Pinocchio story. But take that aside and think of all the animation work that went into this, all the stop motion, the score to this movie. I think that one deserves to win. When it comes to cinematography, I think All Quiet on the Western Front will probably win for that. I'm surprised that movie got as many nominations as it did, but Netflix really didn't have anything else to kind of put in the running here. The only other one I could see winning would probably be Elvis, just because that movie had that Boz Lerman like glow to it, that very flashy cinematography. Boz loves a flash. It's so flashy, so I think that cinematography added a lot to that movie, but I'll still go with All Quiet on the Western Front. In a music category, original song, I'm going with the Rihanna song, Lift Me Up from Black Panther. Easily. Rihanna's singing at the Super Bowl, mm -hmm. and then a month later, she's getting an Oscar. It's going to happen. And that's the only song out of all the other ones nominated that I, I associate with the movie. Although that Not Too Not Too won the Golden Globe. That's probably the one that would beat it out. I just feel now that songs don't have as much of an impact in movies as they used to. Like back in the 90s, 2000s, I feel like there was always like that title track to a movie that you would always associate with it. I feel like that's becoming less and less of a thing. Like big artists do put out songs like this for movies. I mean, you have Lady Gaga nominated for Top Gun Maverick. So it still happens, but I feel like they don't have that much of an impact of me connecting it to that movie. Lift Me Up did. I think the only one before this was probably Sunflower in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, but that's also because it's Post Malone. <laughs> so I'm going with Rihanna here, but yes, you're right. Not to not to probably could win easily. And then an original score, I will go with the Fablemans, I think Steven Spielberg always makes great scores and they always are very intentional and give the entire movie its feel, whether you realize it or not while you're watching it. 
and I felt that in the Fablemans. And then in costume design, I always like when they do this category because it's people who are so passionate about what they do and they rarely get recognized. I know some people are like, why are they putting all these categories on TV? Oh, I think this is one of the most important because I feel like, again, talking about, I love the fashion of the Oscars, mm-hmm. like good costumes can make or break a movie. A lot goes into it. It's very intentional too, in a lot of movies. Like think about like any like, period piece you have like those are going to be more like muted tones Mm -hmm. little women comes to mind or like elvis flashy big costumes like replicated so much of what elvis wore like that that is a craft and i love seeing the people go up there to take home the award because they deserve some recognition oh absolutely so like you said with elvis i think that was a big part of it in that movie all the flashy jumpsuits even colonel tom parker's costume added a lot to the entire movie so i think that one will win although i would like to see black panther take home that one like those costumes are amazing it's true and the the, just the advancements they made into the black panther suit oh yeah i mean i would pick like i personally would vote for black panther but Mm -hmm. i I feel like if elvis is gonna win something yeah i'd rather them win costume design than than austin Austin butler Butler. (laughs) and then finally for makeup and hairstyling, again, I probably think Elvis will win here. I do think there, because, I mean, they did yeah. get those. And especially, like, Priscilla's hair. Like, they got that stuff down. And especially because Austin Butler doesn't really resemble Elvis a whole lot. I felt like through some of the makeup and the hair, that kind of was able to create and paint that image more. So I think that was important more so than all the other movies nominated here. All of the whale a lot of that did involve a lot of makeup and the hair design. Yeah, but that's also been done before. And if I was personally voting, I would vote for the Batman just because I liked Robert Pattinson's look in that movie, how he was kind of like emo with the black makeup that's all smudged. His hair was all messed up and all over the place. And he had like really cool street style. The makeup smudged in the hair. That's what people look like on Broadway on a Sunday morning. Yeah, you're in Nashville. Yeah, they just took that approach. But yeah, like if I were to dress like one character from a movie nominated, I would dress like Robert Pattinson's Batman. You already wear all black. Exactly. (laughs) It works. (laughs) But anyway, there you have it. We ran through all the nominees. The Oscars are going down on Sunday, March 12th on ABC. I will be watching all three hours and we'll see who wins. And you'll be wearing your Oscar black tux hoodie yeah my annual tux hoodie we'll come back i will give you my spoiler free review of a best picture nominee the banshees of inishirin and then we'll talk about scream six bean dad the dress 30 to 50 feral hogs if you knew what any of those were you spend too much time online and hey i do too 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. 
Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get into a spoiler-free movie review now. I want to talk about a Best Picture nominee, The Banshees of Inna Sheeran. One of the most peculiar films I've seen in the Best Picture category And one that I don't think is for everybody. I think within the first 20 minutes of this movie, I looked over to my wife and she said, what is this? What are we watching? And it is a bit of a slow burn. And it's one of those movies where you expect there to be something else. And there's really not. And sometimes that upsets me or disappoints me. But when I realized this is all this movie was going to be about, I was all in. And I ended up really enjoying it. And what the movie really is... It's about Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, who are friends, and the entire movie is about them not being friends anymore. It's about a friendship unraveling at the beginning, it feels like, for no particular reason. But that's really it. It's just about a friendship unraveling and all the crazy links that this one guy goes through just because he can't take no for an answer. So before I get into my full review of The Banshees of Inishirin, here is just a little bit of the trailer. Colin Sonny Larry. In June, he used to be the best of friends. We're still the best of friends. No, you're not. Who says we're not? I said somewhere else. Now, if I've done something to you, just tell me what I've done to you. When you didn't do anything to me, I just don't like you no more. You liked me yesterday. So Colin Farrell plays a guy named Patrick. 
Brendan Gleeson plays a guy named Colm. Sorry if I butcher their names. After watching this movie, since it takes place in Ireland and they're both Irish actors, I've been trying to talk like Colin Farrell. So everything kind of comes out like this. I feel like I could go to the Banshees of Inisherin and, and blend in a little bit. So I've been doing that a lot. So forgive me if I mess up the pronunciations of their names. But they are friends, and it starts at the very beginning of their story of them not being friends anymore. One day, Brendan Gleeson is just like, yo, I don't want to hang out with you anymore. And Colin Farrell is kind of this dimwit guy who has trouble putting things together, and he doesn't get it. He doesn't want to lose his best friend, and he goes through all these links to get him back. He won't take no for an answer. He keeps bothering him, keeps bothering him, even with the crazy stipulation he puts towards Colin Farrell to tell him, never contact me again. It keeps going further and further. And once I realized that, it really helped me settle into this movie. And I understood that I was watching a comedy. And I've said recently that I feel like we're kind of out of the era of comedies. But maybe we're just out of the era of American comedies because they handle this one so well. And it was so interesting and so more thought out that I think this is what comedies need to evolve into. It doesn't have to be all these zany things, all these gags and pop culture reference jokes and quotable moments that we tend to associate with comedies. I think you kind of need to grow from that to make people laugh again and have more stories like this where it's more situational comedy and finding really peculiar characters doing really unusual things. And there's all these cast of characters throughout this small little remote island. It just felt like a really great ensemble cast and it didn't really feel like it was trying so hard to be funny. Just the essence of it, I found hilarious anyway. So it's a very deadpan style of comedy and I just really love the focus on finding a very remote island and telling a story there. And sometimes when I'm like driving across the country on a road trip, I'll see a very remote house and think, what is that person's story? They are nowhere near a grocery store or a gas station. Like, how do they survive? Sometimes you see these small little towns and you think there has to be a story in there. And I felt like this is what the Banshees of Inishirin was. It was taking this small little community and amplifying it. These otherwise unorthodox characters that no one else would tell their story. That is exactly what this movie does. So again, I don't think it's for everybody. And watching this movie a little bit closely, you can kind of tell why it's getting so many nominations. It's like right up there with what critics are going to like. And now, like I talked about earlier, I think it is a contender because of that. So I still have that feeling that it could win for Best Picture. I don't think it deserves to, but it does have that appeal of it being novel and also being a comedy. But there are no bells and whistles. It's really just a character study. Within the first 10 minutes of the movie, you're like, what, what is happening right now? And the other thing I really enjoyed about this film was the cinematography and the focus on the landscape of Ireland. They made this country out to look completely beautiful, which I'm sure is beautiful all on its own. But they really focused on that and they really highlighted that the island itself is kind of personified being responsible for what's going on in all these people's lives. And the fact that only so few people live there kind of adds to that humor of the craziness that happens on this small little island. I just really loved how relentless Colin Farrell's character is and it made me kind of appreciate him a little bit more as an actor 
I've seen so many of his movies, but I never really would put him on my list of he's an actor that I have to see every single movie they've been in. But in the last 10 years, he's had quite a range of being able to do really big blockbusters and smaller indie movies. So in the last 10 years, this definitely makes the list of one of my favorite roles of his. And the range he has from doing a character like this to playing the Penguin in The Batman and also doing movies like After Yang and The Lobster, it definitely gives him a little bit more of a case for me. It definitely made me want to be a little bit more invested in him and pay attention to some of his roles because he picked some really good ones. And I think he really kind of shined in this role because he is Irish. And I think that added to a lot of the humor in this movie because it maybe came a little bit more natural to him. And also him and Brendan Gleeson's just real life friendship. That really translated on screen. I think that is a great friendship because it is so unusual. It, in a weird way, kind of reminded me of the dynamic in Superbad to where they are friends, but they also kind of have a falling out. There's some built up tension there. So in some weird, bizarre way, I kind of had that feeling of this is like Superbad in Ireland, but without a party. So if you are looking for something to watch that's rather peculiar, if you're interested in seeing all the best picture nominees and you don't want to watch a drama, you want to watch a comedy. And I'll still use the term comedy a little bit loosely because it's not LOL. You're going to wet your pants watching this comedy. It's a very deadpan style, which is what I'm into. But if all that sounds good to you, you can watch it on HBO Max. And I would give Banshees of Inishirin Four out of five fingers. You got to watch to find out why it's fingers. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. 
I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to head down to Movie Mike's Trailer Park. Scream 6 is supposed to have a ghost face unlike any ghost face we've ever seen. It's supposed to step up the Scream franchise. And I often feel whenever somebody tells you you're about to watch something unlike anything you've ever seen before, you know what I'm expecting? I'm expecting exactly what they've always been giving us. And watching this trailer, I want to feel different. Actually, within the first 60 seconds of this, I was excited. I thought this trailer actually looked a little bit more sinister than its predecessor, Scream 5, which I felt really banked on nostalgia, bringing back Nev Campbell, bringing back David Arquette, but both of them are out in this movie. Nev Campbell actually isn't returning to Scream 6 because she hated the amount of money they offered her for Scream 6 after being a part of this franchise for so long. She was like, I'm out, but it looks like a lot of the newer cast are back for Scream 6, including Jenna Ortega. And before I get into all my thoughts, as you can hear, I'm pretty fired up about this one. And I'm not even the biggest Scream fan. I just really want this franchise to do well for some reason. I'm just really banking on horror right now. But before I get into my full thoughts on Scream 6, here is just a little bit of the new trailer. This isn't like any other ghost face. What is this place? A shrine. We've got to lure him in. We execute him. Hello. Let's play a game. You know you're like the 10th guy to try this, right? It never works out for the dipish in the mask. Maybe. But there's never been one like me, Gail. I'm something... different. That's why I'm gonna shoot you in the head. So for me, the first 60 seconds of the trailer, I thought it did look a little bit more sinister. It had me more interested. But once it got to that part... The entire exchange between Ghostface and Gale, I felt like it was a lot of the same. I felt like Scream 5 kind of had a soap opera vibe to it. And I was looking a little bit more for the modern horror vibe. Because I think there's just so much room for the classic slasher to really evolve into something a little bit more sophisticated. Because... Scream movies were so big in the 90s. It really changed the trajectory of horror in the 90s going into the 2000s. And I'm always just kind of fascinated with the fan base that surrounds Scream. When it comes to all the iconic horror killers, I still put Ghostface on that Mount Rushmore because the face is so recognizable. I've never really loved 
any of the characters or storylines from the original one or care to see them kind of play out the same way I would like the Halloween franchise. I'm more interested in seeing Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, continue out that character than I am anybody in the Scream movies. So the premise behind this movie is all of the survivors from the last round of killings, they leave Woodsboro and now are starting new in New York City. So I do like that aspect of getting out of that small town, all this weird history that's supposed to mean something, but really to us as viewers doesn't mean anything. Like, I don't care about the history of Woodsboro. I don't want to see the same thing play out over and over again. Put them in a big city. I think that's where Ghostface can really shine. One part I did really enjoy in this trailer that I thought was a cool visual effect whenever they are on the subway in New York and all of these people are in different Halloween masks and they're a different version of people wearing the ghost face mask and they are trying to figure out who is the actual ghost face killer and then I do love the little touch on the new ghost face it has like this weathered worn down look I think they are taking a page from Halloween and how they aged Michael Myers masks as all the reboots happened and I almost feel like that is what they need to give Ghostface an edge. Make him less like some dude who can just be taken down by a group of teenagers and give him a little bit more of that Michael Myers-y vibe, being able to revive himself. Kind of like a zombie Ghostface is, I think, what we need. And I saw some people complaining about Ghostface having a gun in this trailer, not because of their views on guns, but because it kind of takes away from some of the creativity. And I would agree with that to an extent. I think if you gave Ghostface a gun in the first or even the second movie, it would really take away from the appeal of what a slasher is supposed to be. I think a lot of horror movies would just kind of flat out be nothing if the villain just had a gun or even if they just shot him all the time. I think that is kind of an easy way out. That would just end the story in any situation. Oh, we shot him and it's all over. Like end of story. It's a lot more visually appealing to see Ghostface kill somebody with the garage door than him just shooting and taking somebody out. But when it comes to a sixth installment in a franchise and trying to create this darker, edgier Ghostface, I kind of like him with a shotgun. I think the shotgun has a bit more of an edge than just a normal gun. And I'll even enjoy if they kind of play that up a little bit of him making a decision to use the gun, figuring out how to use it, and probably not keeping it throughout the entire movie, but in that little part when they are in that convenience store. I'm okay with Ghostface having a gun. I think the trope is getting a little bit tired of him calling people when they're home alone, showing up, and then doing the whole home invasion thing. We had that flashback in Scream 5, but I don't think we need to keep revisiting that over and over again in every movie, even though they already did it in the trailer. That does make me think, though, now in 2023, maybe it's because I'm an adult, but a Scream movie is almost scarier to me now than it was when I was a kid, because I think as an adult, my biggest fear is a home invasion. I don't really have a list of fears of like animals or deep water or heights or anything like that. But home invasion, I don't care who you are, that is something that's always going to scare you. And that is a main reason why I can't go watch horror movies with my wife, Kelsey, because anything that remotely deals with the home invasion, she is out. That's why she will not be watching Knock at the Cabin next week with me. So my biggest question going into Scream 6 is can the entire movie capture that sinister vibe that it has within the first 60 seconds of this trailer? And how much can this franchise really change in a year scream 5 was last year is it possible to have that big of a tonal shift in one year to the next 
I hope so. I think this movie has potential. I just hope it doesn't fizzle out within the first 30 minutes of it and the third act kind of fall apart like it did in Scream 5. But I do want to get the answer to my question. This movie comes out this year on March 10th. I will go. I will watch it. But as of right now, I won't be happy about it. My excitement meter... On a 10 scale, I'm probably at about a six, a little bit more excited than just like, I don't care at all. I think this trailer won me over just a little bit. Otherwise, I kind of would have been out after Scream 5. So I'm willing to give Ghostface at least one more chance. And I say that as I'll probably be lining up for Scream 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. And that was this week's edition of Movie Minds Trailer Park. And that's going to do it for another episode here of the podcast. But before I go, I got to give my listener shout out of the week. All you have to do is tweet me on Instagram, tag me in your Instagram story with a screenshot or a picture of the display on your car listening to an episode of the podcast. But this week, I'm going over to my DMs and shouting out James, who sent me a DM and said, Hey, great to hear the A through Z episode. Just started listening around the holidays. I'm excited for this year. Thank you, James, for discovering the podcast and anybody else listening to the podcast for the very first time. Welcome to the movie crew. My favorite part about doing this podcast is interacting with you on social media to see how you feel about different movies what movie recommendations you took me up on, what movies you have different opinions on than I do. And also if you have a recommendation of a topic I need to cover or even somebody I should interview on the podcast, always hit me up with those. After last week's episode, a lot of people said I should get Tom Hanks on the podcast. I would love to get Tom Hanks on the podcast. If anybody has a contact for him, Hit me up. But it's a little difficult to get the most famous movie star in the entire country. So I'm going to send out some emails today see if we can make that happen. But thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your week. And until next time, go out and watch good movies. And I will talk to you later. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event. So give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view. An endless field of wildflowers. Or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.